favor. No, I can't. <laughs> oh, look at the too. time. We gotta go. Ooh, sorry. I just I had so many plans. It's, well, speaking of plans, John, I had a very busy weekend, so I was wondering if you could play like a news anchor and you could throw <laughs> it to me, a field reporter. <laughs> uh, live, live from downtown Los Angeles, we're here with our field reporter, Greg Mantell. Greg, what's the story down there? Well, uh, if we are speaking of downtown Los Angeles, John, it's officially Pride Month, and cities all across America <laughs> are celebrating uh, our LGBT community, and Los Angeles is no exception. <laughs> and wait three seconds, and cut to... Yeah, I I wanted to talk about... I had never been to a Pride celebration before. Yeah, because you hate gay people. This we know. <laughs> I don't hate gay people. I, I understand I am not the audience. There are many audiences that Pride Festivals cater to. I am not among them. However, my friend was in town. He didn't explicitly invite me to it, but I was going to be damned if I was going to be excluded. <laughs> well, hold on. Did, did you know that you were picking him up at this event, or was it just well, like... Well, yeah. Yeah, okay. the, well, there's no way to, yeah, that's what he was in So town he didn't for. trick you, because, you know, no, gays, no. Are, gays are crafty. They will <laughs> trick you. <laughs> Exactly. Well, speaking of which, Sean, I had never been to one of these before, so I didn't know what to expect. I, and I gotta say, surprisingly family friendly. Yeah, I think. Uh, I mean, back in the day, in the '90s, I think it was a lot more kind of pomp and circumstance, and a lot more kind of raunchiness. But nowadays, it's like, you know, everyone's kind of aged into it. Everyone's used to it by now. So now, you know, pride is all just politicians trying to look very woke, and um, corporations trying to do the same. So really, you know, there's nothing to fear, Greg. I mean, unless yes. you're afraid that you might be too into it. <laughs> That's what I was afraid. I Well, I was surprised by the diversity of the crowd. Um, mm. A lot of women there. Okay. Yeah, uh, which, again, surprised me, because when you think you think of the gay community, again, you just think of colonizing white men, but <laughs> in, in any event. <laughs> a lot of women there, at least two uh, nuclear families, you know, uh, parents with strollers. And, um, yeah, just, like, uh, average-looking people. I was afraid I was going to be insecure and, and be the least attractive person there, but, no, I, I'm proud to say that was not the case. I was... I was <laughs> Very fetching in my polo shirt and cargo shorts. <laughs> That's a safe assumption because I always assume that you're the least attractive person anywhere you go. So I walked right into that one. <laughs> yeah, you did. Yes, I oh. Well, well, I, I thought about it. And I'm assuming there are a lot of ladies there because it's the one place where they won't get sexually assaulted. <laughs> You'd be surprised. Uh, yeah. Well, exactly. And uh, granted, I wasn't there for very long, but no, no, th you know, I I was not the victim of uh, any assaults or uh, ansiness <laughs> or anything like that. Uh, which, frankly, I'm a little hurt by. <laughs> okay. Well, again, w with the absence of alcohol, th things things tend to be pretty tame. That's that's what I that's what I couldn't understand. I there's no alcohol, so like, what is the point? It seemed like a lot of like standing around. And especially watching a parade, and, and I don't know if everybody knows this, but this is my hot take. Get, get mm -hmm. your oven gloves, get your oven gloves ready. Mm -hmm. uh, I am anti-parade. All parades. Wow. Pride parades, veterans parades, homeless veterans, forget it. Stupid. Oh, wow. Parades Harsh. are an antiquated form of entertainment when audiences <laughs> were content to just stand there under a hot sun and watch something slowly creep by. We're going we're gonna to throw now to our weatherman, because it is hot out there. <laughs> Tell me about it, Rod. <laughs> Listen to all these hot takes. Yep. I am I, well. Thank goodness I'm throwing shade at parades. Ooh, yeah. snap! <laughs> See, I know I'm up. I'm up to date on the lingo. <laughs> I can talk like one of these gays. Yeah, these the gays. Yes. But, but I, I, you, you raised a good point, which is I feel like uh, pride parades are just an excuse to pregame. That's probably what it always is. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. But it was it was damn early in the morning. It was it was at 11 a.m. on a Sunday, the Lord's Day. I'm assuming that's <laughs> that's just an affront to Christianity, our, our God-fearing Christian values. <laughs> Wait, it wasn't on Saturday? Most Friday no, parades are on Saturdays. Was, Saturdays yeah, were created for that. parades. Come on. Yeah. 
Who does well, John, Pride was, on Sunday? Well, there was one controversy for <gasps> the Pride in Los Angeles, yes. <sighs> All right, let's hear it from the social justice warriors. What did they problematize <laughs> this time? No, it, it wasn't. Thankfully, the social justice warriors were not involved. It's a consumer issue, John. Oh, dear. Because uh, the festival was actually Saturday and Sunday. And Saturday night, there was a concert with some artist I've never heard of, because I'm, I'm an old-ass man. But okay. it turns out they oversold tickets and turned people away at the gates. <gasps> yeah. The most so, egregious uh, maybe thing they can do. Exactly. So maybe that's why the crowd was subdued. Maybe that's why, you know, again, nobody was nobody was coming on to me, which is what I, you know, <laughs> again, <laughs> which is what I was expecting and, you know, a little bit wanting. It didn't happen, though. I mean, no. not the, yeah, but you know what? I'm there's not always, mad. I'm, I'm laughing about it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Including in every other city in the world. Um, again, for tourist dollars, I'm assuming. Oh, of course. I yeah. guess that's the point. Yeah, it's it, no. It's, those are the said. people. Those are the people that always scare me when they're like, "Oh, we're gonna do Pride this weekend, and then we're gonna do Pride next weekend in another city." I'm like, "Who are these people? You're insane." <laughs> <laughs> Why? Stop! Stop! <laughs> uh, maybe they really want to go to Indianapolis, <laughs> and. I don't know. Can you think of another reason to go? <laughs> a, a fair point, but I just like who has this kind of money? Who has this kind of time? Like, what do they do for a living? The the, the dinks do, John. I guess that's a fair point. Mm-hmm. I mean, the West Coast makes sense. East Coast, I don't know. Again, it's just New York, and then who cares? Now, why not? It's like, oh in... yeah, DC Pride. Woo! What a crazy party. <laughs> I'm writing a policy paper. <laughs> Nerd. I'm using this as an excuse to celebrate my thesis being done and then going to DC Pride. <laughs> Woohoo. Nerds. Yeah. DC so, anyway, nerds. In summation, it was better than I thought it would be, but still utterly pointless. Back to you, John. <laughs> Look forward to that. Now, going forward, every week, we'll be yes. doing a little piece to camera. Yes. We're pivoting John. to video once I figure out how OBS works. Oh, this is complicated. <laughs> Technology is so complicated, guys. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I'm an old man. I know. It's, John, it's, John, the modern world is a scary place. It is. Do you want to know how I know? How do you know? Uh, it's because I immerse myself in a very artful, experimental documentary. Oh, dear. Yes. What's very that? scary stuff. Riveting stuff. Oh, in fact, it, 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 it tore through the cities in the early 1980s. It, it wowed audiences. It blew their minds. Guys, get your acid tablets ready. <laughs> Because this week we're talking Koina Yitsuisi. Oh, that's aw- terrible. Awful. Not even close. <laughs> Fine, no, you do it. I'll do it properly. It's okay. Koya Iskatsi. Like a like a midwestern flair to it. Going out of Kotsky. Oh, this sounds like a good time at the cinema. <laughs> well, I wanted to differentiate it from the base. You know, you you hear the title in the movie. They they actually 
yeah, it's the, very it's, instructive on how to pronounce this word. Yeah, Oyaniskatsi. So I wanted to differentiate it. Mm-hmm. There's a nice little choral chant to it at the very beginning. Yeah. You know, again, no person left behind. And I think that's the whole uh, crux of the whole movie. No child left behind, in case you didn't get it. Because <laughs> even well, though this is an, an, an art film, quote unquote, an experimental film, it's not hard to see what the message of the movie is. No, we should probably explain what it is. This is a, a wordless, narrationless documentary. Mm-hmm. Uh, director Godfrey R- R- Reggio basically has sent, cobbled together all this uh, footage of cities, a lot of stock footage, mm-hmm. and went to Philip Glass and said, hey, can you write a score to this? Mm-hmm. And then he said no, and then eventually he said yes. Exactly, because um, I don't score films, famously. You know, uh-huh. Philip Glass would say, I don't score a film. Mm-mm, it's beneath me. Yes. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, a medium for the plebeian masses. Yeah. And boy, <laughs> does it show with this movie. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so basic. Okay, so... Yes, I, it inc- incorporates a lot of time-lapse footage of, well, first it's it's got very placid footage of the natural world and then transitions into time-lapse footage of the modern world and it's chaotic and crazy. And so like, it's not hard to kind of extract what, what the meaning of uh, Reggio's trying to convey here. Exactly. But it sounds like your main criticism is that it's too obvious in that in that point. A bit, because again, the whole fact that when you think art film, you think obtuse. And the fact that it is kind of so easy to kind of guess the meaning of this film. Not only that, but the final still shot is the actual definition of what Koina Kukutsuki means, which is yes. life out of balance. Again, he might as well have just put that out in the front and said, like, flashed warning lights. Like, this is what I'm talking about, guys. <laughs> just a little too... It's, again, like, if you're going to be artful, you know, be really obtuse and, you know, make it, like, really hard to kind of parse the meaning. But it's it's too easy. Yeah. Uh, it's very didactic, and actually, I, I can also, you know, obviously explain what, how exactly you extrapolate that meaning just with visuals, and it's called the Kuroslav effect, mm-hmm. and that's essentially what he's trying, what he's doing here. Um, the Kuroslav effect basically says, you know, with the principle of montage, when you cut from one thing to another, you make the connection between the two shots in your brain. Uh, the most obvious, um, or at least the most well-known experiment of this is, um, this was back in like the 19 teens. And it's just a camera on a stone-faced guy. He's showing no expression at all. And it cuts to, like, a bowl of soup. Mm-hmm. And from that, you extrapolate that, yeah, it's just, it's just like, general boring ennui. Uh, cut back to the guy. Again, completely expressionless. But then you cut to a child's coffin. Mm. And, now you're, and now you feel tragedy. Now you feel loss. And again, just through, just through the cut, just from one image to another, you kind of extrapolate that. And it's exactly. the exact same thing here. I mean, you... You cut from like a verdant poppy field to suddenly a crazy city to suddenly a, a huge array of tanks. <laughs> you know, it's not. <laughs> well, I mean, I wish it was kind of that uh, exciting. Instead, the mm-hmm. first third is pretty much all nature scenery. It's all like basically a nature documentary. And then we cut to mining, massive mining operations, you know, TNT blowing up the sides of mountains. And it's like, oh, okay, it's pretty clear what he's you know, the message across. And then we get into the cities, the hustle and bustle of the streets, the time-lapse photography of New York and Philadelphia and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, well, what's what's aiding in this is Philip Glass's score, which um, mm-hmm. also kind of sets the tone. There's no real story to speak of, but the John, the music is telling the story. Oh, of course. Um, I was reading the trivia, and famously, you know, he had a rough cut of it, gave it to Philip Glass, and then Philip Glass just kind of composed what he wanted, and then he brought it back and then re-edited based on Philip Glass' music, because it, you know, works so well, yeah. you know. Which is not the, not the way that it's generally done. I mean, No, of course The not. score is the last, the last thing to be done. Exactly. The director says, do the music the way I envision the movie, <laughs> not the other way around. 
director yeah, is completely okay, uncompromising. <laughs> See, but that's that's part of my issue with this film is the fact that it's like looking at it. it this is really an engrossing spectacle, but also I see it and I'm like, I could do this. <laughs> and granted, it's because I have the aid of modern technology. I have Premiere Pro on my computer. It's like, I could make a film that looks like this. I could make a film that kind of communicates the same message. And so part of me feels like this isn't really the work of a master filmmaker. I don't know. Whoa, whoa. Maybe I'm getting, maybe, uh, yeah, yeah. Maybe that's really unfair. I know whoa, that. Whoa, whoa, but... whoa. Yeah, that's, it is, I think it is unfair. Because how many times do you go through a modern art gallery and just say, and you just see, say, black canvas just painted you think like oh i could have painted that yeah but, the thing but is again you did, the, but the thing is you didn't and i want to give him credit and also cinematographer rob fink frinkle i think i pronounced yeah frinkle mm-hmm. and again he didn't shoot every shot in this movie because a lot of it is stock footage however what is shot is is stunningly beautiful mm-hmm. and so like kind of to put together a a vision like this that's also gotten some like public appeal like we're talking about it 30 plus years later so it's got there's got to be something to it no you're absolutely right but again when you when we're talking about going through an art gallery and you see black on black canvas you know part of you says i could paint that but also part of you is like what is the meaning that we can extrapolate from this because this movie is so not obtuse because it's so kind of obvious and the message it's trying to convey part of me is like uh, it's kind of simple and if it were kind of more didactic and just like a little kind of further away and you really could extrapolate multiple meanings from it, mm. then I think it would be a more re- which, uh, uh, rewarding experience, a more enriching film. But instead, because again, it's so obvious, I, you know, and maybe his other films are, you know, a bit more obtuse and maybe they're a little, you know, kind of offer more potential insight than just, hey, let's stop destroying the world, guys. Like, come on, that's what freshmen in college do. Like, that's the kind of work they do. Well, I don't, again, I don't want to, I, I can only grade results, Sean. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> the intention is that I think, uh, in spite of in spite of how obvious it is, mm-hmm. I do think there's something to, like, how it kind of puts all this footage together. Mm-hmm. And, it, well, and how it comes together with the score. And But, yeah, what it's missing is a little bit more complexity and also that kind of emotional through line. Because what makes right, yeah. yeah, because what makes documentaries so great is that they are telling a story, particularly a human story. So that you do have some emotional investment in it, and so yes, you could probably take this, um, take uh, the message that uh, Reggio is trying to trying to convey here, and make like a ten minute short, make like a fifty minute documentary, make like a three hour documentary. Thankfully, he didn't mm-hmm. do that. Yeah, but I think what it needed was. Like you needed to see some, you needed to see something emotionally to attach to, exactly. and Philip Glass's music tries to do that, but what it's missing is um, any kind of like a, a pathos component to his argument.
Yeah, well, I mean, and I think that's the intention, too, is that we are supposed to be from a God's eye view of this whole scene. And so oh, that's yeah. kind of why we don't get any kind of like close up. We do get a lot of people in this movie, but we're really not lingering on them for very long. I think the closest we get to that is the kind of middle segment where we go into manufacturing and there's a lot of, you know, the hustle and bustle of the city. It's uh, the, the longest composition from this piece that Philip Glass did is literally called The Grid. And you can see mm. exactly what that's meaning to connote. Modern day technology, you know, the sprawl, the urban sprawl, electricity and microprocessors and, you know, everything's <laughs> just flashing and, you know, everything's quick, but it all doesn't mean anything. It's, you know, oh, it's a crippling ennui, but it never quite gets to that yeah. point. Yeah. Well, no, the most obvious kind of, it, well, I think what he's trying to say is that it's dehumanizing because one of the more obvious cuts is uh, we're looking at a circuit board, mm. again, very well-defined grids. And then we cut to a nightscape of like a suburban neighborhood grid. Exactly. So yeah, you're kind of see you see obviously how dehumanizing it is, and obviously maybe that's part of his intention not to show any people. Exactly. Because and I mean when we're we living in a, we're living in a, we're living in a modern world that's out of balance. So oh yeah. oh th- yeah. hey that's the name of the movie. Yeah. Um, so it would diminish from that if we, if we did show like say a happy a happy married couple or something. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. The other kind of important thing is when they're doing the manufacturing thing. Half of it is actually done by people, and the other half is all automated system you have these cars that you know are being welded by machines you have these you know mechanical arms moving all the oscar meyer packaged meats this this movie made me want a hot dog real bad let me tell you (laughs) (laughs) oh come on i you know that well speaking of how obvious this movie is i mean the choice of the food exactly highly processed processed manufactured foods that he shows (laughs) it has to be intentional exactly (laughs) it's not just yeah it's not like he chose hot dogs and twinkies (laughs) It's not like he Ad showed random. a farmer stand or anything like that. No, so. exactly. <laughs> and baloney. <Yeah. laughs> but that is probably my favorite segment of the film because, again, he gets some really interesting time lapses. And it's also my favorite scene of the whole movie. He puts the camera actually on a conveyor belt. And oh, yeah. So it's like it's actually traveling through the factory and you get this great time lapse effect. I thought it was really cool. And again, a nice contrast to the earlier scenes where he literally just, you know, stuck the, a camera in the middle of the desert. and We just watched the clouds kind of fly through, you know, it's nice, but it's, it's a nice contrast. I, I disagree. I actually found this section to be the most monotonous because <laughs> I believe it's the longest portion of the movie is, is this. Yeah, time it's lapse called of the, the grid. Factories. It's okay. called the grid. Come on. How, well, how long? How long is this track? How long is this Philip Glass uh, track? Oh, like eighteen minutes. Eighteen. Yeah. So it's it's the obviously taking up a huge chunk of the movie. Yeah. And I was ready. I was ready to move on. I wanted something else. <laughs> but instead, it was almost like oppressively monotonous. It just okay. like kept going on and on. And again, maybe that's Reggio's intention. Again, well, that's he's, also he's Phil, an artist. Yeah. <laughs> that's Philip Glass's intention with everything he writes is just <laughs> over and over. Uh, again. Repetition. Just, yeah. yeah. So this is the other thing I wanted to bring up. I had actually heard this soundtrack before I'd actually watched this movie. Okay. So Go well, um, yeah, I think it would have been maybe a little more impactful if this was the first time I had been. I'd actually heard this music, but again, I'm very familiar. Oh, with excuse Phil Glass. me. Yeah, I mean, guys, let me tell you about how sophisticated I am. I listened to Phil Glass before he was cool. Okay. <laughs> before he started doing film scores. <laughs> exactly. I was listening to him in the early '90s. Let me tell you, back yeah. when his music actually meant something. <laughs> The thing about Philip Glass is he's very monotonous. He likes to repeat themes and sometimes mm-hmm. repeats music wholesale. Like there's <laughs> segments from his opera Akhenaten that he just uses here wholesale. 
So, uh, yeah, well, like, sometimes he just ends up self-plagiarizing. <laughs> well, it's not a purely original movie. I mean, there's stock footage of Russian tanks and the Pruitt-Igo exactly. demolition. And so, yeah, maybe maybe Philip Glass is like, hey, if he's reusing stuff, maybe I can reuse <laughs> stuff. Yeah, maybe it's okay. That's true. And, I mean, it's the great composer Aaron Copeland said, I don't compose any music. I just take what nature has provided me and just arrange the elements. So oh, maybe that's geez. what they're doing. Oh, oh come on. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't types. expect a philistine like you to appreciate <laughs> the finer eccentricities of classical music. But oh well, here we are. Here we are. Kesara. Yeah. Well, speaking of being a philistine, I I will point out one other flaw with this movie, and then it doesn't really engage with kind of what it's showing. Like, there's really no sense of like place. I mean, you can obviously recognize, say, the the 405 or something. Or uh, there's another shot with a car. It goes on Sunset Boulevard. You can oh, recognize yeah. things, but again, there's no exposition. There's no information. No. And my favorite part of the movie is uh, the the demolition of the Pruitt-Igo housing project. Yeah. Now, there's actually been a whole documentary about that housing project itself. It's, a, it's kind of like a fascinating story. They've, it's It was like a political hubris to say, like, we figured out public housing. This Prudigo project in, in St. Louis is going to be great. And it was a disaster immediately. And, mm-hmm. and it was a huge waste of, of time, money, and, and, and human human power. But, <laughs> but of course, like, all, all that the movie can show you is just the, the falling of it. It doesn't engage, engage with any of the details or what we could learn from this, you know, historic boondoggle. So Exactly. So it feels like you're maybe you're missing something. And then there's even footage uh, he reused, like news footage from the 1977 New York blackout. And again, that's oh, yeah. like again, there's a lot of context to that. There's a lot of things that are worth exploring. But again, it's just you know two seconds of footage. Oh, people in New York. All right, we're done with that. Moving on. The other problem is with again the stock footage and the footage that he does use. It's like when he's using uh, scenery and footage of nature, it's like it does have this kind of nice timeless quality. But once he kind of brings it into the human world, it is very much of a time and place. And I think it kind of loses this kind of nice, again, lack of a better word, timeless quality that the movie could have had. Because it's like it gets to that human footage and it's like, oh, this is clearly taking place in the 80s. Look at the fashion. Look, there's manufacturing jobs in America. How cute. (laughs) How quaint. People I, selling I, clothes in America. Haha, <laughs> that's funny. No, I, I didn't quite get that. I mean, yes, obviously, like, you know, they, they're building a, a Chevy Camaro, which <laughs> obviously looks like an old dated 70s muscle car, which it is. <laughs> but again, I, I kind of felt I, I didn't that didn't distract me or take me out of the experience. Okay. Yeah, unlike the obviously it opens on this um this beautiful cave drawing I, I believe from like uh the Hopi people or it's in it's in Utah somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> it's the opening and closing scene. Exactly, and so yeah, you're right that that kind of brings well that that to me kind of brings through like a whole like timeless quality. Again, I found it as engaging today as it would, maybe it would be in 1983. <laughs> Thank you. 
spite of, I don't know, the, the, the ladies, there's a long lingering shot of like five ladies <laughs> standing in front of their, uh, I believe it's a casino or something. Yeah, exactly. And yes, they have giant, and yes, Vegas. they do have giant hair and, you know, big, big broad smiles. And, and yes, it is very uh, early 80s, but, you know, I, I, I was still uh, engaged. I was still uh, wrapped up in those moments. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it is kind of funny because, again, looking at his kind of CV and what other, uh, this is one, this is the first part of a trilogy. And yes. so it would be kind of interesting to see the other trilogy and see how much it deviates from this formula. Um, I do think uh, that I would those... I would not put my money on it deviating <laughs> a lot. But I do think those other movies do kind of explore, um, does kind of get more into, I feel like as his career kind of goes on, he does try to get more centered onto the people. I do recall seeing like stills from the other movies and it shows poor people in India and stuff like that, you know, scrounging for food in the dirty, dirty streets and things like that. And then the last movie he did, in 2013 it's called visitors and again it's just filled glass music and mm-hmm. it's literally just still black and white shots of people's faces wow 90 minutes of just that okay and again the title implies it. aren't we all just visitors aren't we all just aliens on this big floating rock yeah i don't know if i i maybe see it in a 10 minutes of it in a new in a new media <laughs> yeah, gallery exactly. at the <laughs> at the modern art museum maybe not you know mm-hmm. slept down to the theater and watch 90 <laughs> minutes of that but i've I do think he knows how to put powerful images together. One of the, one of the, and it, it is a very immersive movie. Like I did get wrapped up into it until that 18 minute sequence was just more and more time lapse. But the sequences yeah. that did really draw me in was first that very placid, you know, a gorgeous cinematography of nature, mm-hmm. and then also I believe it cuts to you mentioned that uh, footage of New York City in 1977, and at one point it cuts to the Bronx and literally like the ground is just covered in like feet high of debris. Mm-hmm. And I was just, it's kind of like a stunning image. And then the camera pans out and there are like people living there. <laughs> like literally there's a street, there are people on the street, like literally right next to this destruction. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. again, it's moments like that, that really kind of draw you in. Unfortunately, there's maybe, maybe that's the one thing the movie needs a little bit more connection to the people living. And yeah, yeah. hopefully the, the, the other two movies in this trivia, in this tri- trivia, the other two movies <laughs> in this trilogy do do that. In this triptych, if you will. Yes. Yes, because this is art, people. This is art. Mm-hmm. This is high Ooh. art. Jebu, gallery idea. Yeah. Show all three movies simultaneously. Whoa. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Ooh. I'm going to have to smoke a lot of pot for that. <laughs> Powerful stuff. No, we're, John, I got some ketamine. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> but again, like, I, again, I understand why he does that, because the whole idea is the fact that when we're watching a film, you know, there is that distance, there is that separation. There's literally a fourth wall there that we can't break past. So, yeah. it, it, you know, and again, maybe that's just not his skill set. So No, but I, I'd say if there there is one skill set, it is A, getting getting to employ the talents of Philip Glass, you know, mm-hmm. A-plus job there. Yep. And B, it's also kind of editing and, and knowing exactly when to cut, because my other favorite moment is at the very end. Not the, mm-hmm. not quite the very end, but the last shot, um, you see it's a rocket explosion. Yeah. And we trace it. Jeez, it, I think it lasts for like nine minutes or something. <laughs> but just the first, the the rocket exploding, but then it's following this fireball. It's the engine that's falling slowly. Mm-hmm. Like you know, it just shows how how kind of the scale of it. Yeah. First, the scale of the of this uh, rocket launch, but also like how long we linger on it is uh, is pretty powerful. So, mm-hmm. I, I I in spite of in spite of my criticisms, I think uh, I think it's a very well done. Yeah. Documentary. Uh, no, again, I, mean, I won't I... call it. You're right. It's not experimental because experimental implies that it's going to be open to interpretation or it's it's trying something different. Yeah. I mean, I, I, but I think Reggio had knew exactly what he was doing when he started this project. <laughs> 
and knew exactly. No, and that's kind of yeah, that's kind of the weird thing about quote unquote art films, or at least the other art films I have seen that I can think of off the top of my head. It's like the intentions of it are not that hidden. It's not hard to extrapolate what their actual meaning is. Whereas opposed to if you're doing a narrative film, you can kind of layer it more with, you know, characters and dialogue and things like that, which obviously he doesn't do. And again, that's not a fault of his. I'm not saying he should have made it a narrative film. I'm just saying. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Words. <laughs> it's fine. Everything's fine. No, you're, you're at a loss for words like the movie is, John. That's the that's power true. of language. That's true. Or the, I'm sorry. That's the power of visuals, not the power of language. <laughs> language, language is dead. <laughs> language is all dead. movies. Yes. All movies should look like this. Infinity Film War should have looked like this. <laughs> it's the universal language because fuck mm. math. <laughs> I've, John, let's bring it back into a positive direction, huh? Let's not let's not besmirch math here. <laughs> but math is terrible. <sighs> math is how we communicate with the spheres. Math is how we <laughs> how we reach for the stars. How we how you and I are able to talk right now. That's but, that was achieved via math. <laughs> but these spheres are so out of balance. Maybe we can bring yeah. them into realignment using ah. our signature segment, spotlight. 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 It's time, Robbie. It's time. Yes, let's get the the planets are I believe um Jupiter's in retrograde now, mm-hmm. so it's it the the sun is hitting the red spot. I think we're there. I think I think I'm feeling oneness with the universe, John. And the moon is in the seventh house. Dun, 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 and dun, the sun. This is the dawning of the age of Aquarius. Stop me anytime. Age of Aquarius. No, keep going. Aquarius. <laughs> well, we Give hope me everybody a head enjoyed with hair. Yeah. <laughs> Long, beautiful hair. <laughs> okay, I'll stop you there. But John, I'm feeling I'm feeling the power of the universe is telling me to recommend this uh, a, a wonderful show to people. Okay. I believe you mentioned it before, but we didn't officially spotlight it, so I'll do that now. All right, go for it. And that's it's it's on it's it's in an unexpected place. True TV. I'm talking about the show starring one of our favorite comedic actors, mm-hmm. Amy Sedaris, and the, and that show is At Home with Amy Sedaris. Ah, oh, yes. I in a previous episode I recommended Strangers with Candy. Uh, personally, mm-hmm. my fun, the funniest show I've ever seen, and I, I've been meaning to catch up with the show, but I haven't gotten the chance because True well, TV yeah, is is governed by assholes we're like no we guard our content it's our content it's exclusive fuck you exactly john take more flights on delta and they'll have it (laughs) okay but in any event yes it's on true tv and like strangers with candy it's just a license for amy sedaris to be weird Mm -hmm. 
So this is based on, she actually wrote a book on kind of entertaining and crafts and, and, and hospitality essentially called I Like You. And that's, and it's, it was a weird book and that's exactly what the show is pretty much. Yeah. Um, it's again, marrying her love of absurdist comedy and crafts <laughs> and being like Martha Stewart. Exactly. I, I would call it like a parody of say Martha Stewart of those kind of at home Mm-hmm. Uh, shows however it's 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 too strange for even that okay. <laughs> yeah every episode centers around a theme I, I believe the first one i might have watched them out of order so i'm not sure which it, not that the order of these episodes matters <laughs> how can you follow a story <laughs> exactly well we we get into uh amy's personal life as well as the characters that she plays okay. and some of the some special guests that come by <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah but what uh one episode centers around um cooking cooking for one mm-hmm um, cause sometimes you tell yourself you're alone and you tell yourself you're right. <laughs> <laughs> and this, this opening shot, it's her riding a bicycle and you just cut off and it's cut off at her waist and then it cuts out to the wide and she's she's in the back of a tandem bicycle riding alone. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. And then when she makes a, and then she, when she also crochets. So, um, when she makes an assertion that, uh, I'm alone and it's okay, she'll point to a crochet that says just that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> But John, not only do these episodes have a theme, they also have a story. If, for instance, in this cooking for one, uh, she meets a uh, a diner owner who's Greek. Oh. And oh, they oh yeah, they they hit it off immediately. So after the commercial break, oh, we're throwing out the, uh, the cooking for one theme right out the window. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> who plays the uh, who plays the Greek cook, Rick? Well, it's of course it's a uh, Scott Adsit, uh, better known as Peter Hornberger from Thirty Rock. Oh, okay. Dang. Yeah, I, really I know hoping, your favorite. I was hoping it was Tony Shalhoub, but he's living in the No, it, well, exactly. no it, but there is another one of your favorite actors, Paul Giamatti, makes an appearance as one of the businessmen, the ah. business people that that he's a <laughs> the part he was born to play. Exactly, and he's a. Let me tell you, John, he's a dirty son of a bitch. <laughs> Yeah, it, again, like, everything's kind of built around a skit, so she finishes her meal for these, or she prepares a meal for these three businessmen, and, and she has a hard time relating to them. <laughs> it's like, are you married? Oh, that makes you, that makes you seem warm, that makes you seem personable and human. Continue with that. <laughs> Ugh, I have to, I have to pirate the show somehow. I have to get, uh, I get access to it. You've just, you've, I'm no, sold, John, I'm we sold have to support. We have to support True TV, I believe, I could be wrong, but I believe they have renewed it for a second season which is again a miracle of itself it's a miracle <laughs> that the show even exists in in all its weirdness but <laughs> uh, we truly are in the golden age of television indeed we are so please if you have if you don't know who amy sedaris is go explore her you find you might find that it's it's not for everybody side effects include um <laughs> brain melting and <laughs> but i know i'll love it and exactly. It, it gets the John Mantell seal of approval just it, based it on the previous. It works for us. Yeah, yes. it works for us. As your doctors, we'll we'll prescribe it. But report back to us <laughs> on how you're feeling. Two out of Amy two Sedaris Mantell brothers agree. Of... Amy Sedaris, a okay. Yeah. Support her Please. Patreon. Venmo her money. I don't care. Yeah. Report back to us on how you're feeling and on, on whether you feel the same way. <laughs> okay. I and I think you know what honestly I think our audience will. Yep. Well, we can only hope so. I will. I will say my one criticism of the show is that she actually doesn't show real recipes. <laughs> I thought you know. I thought it could be like it's genuinely informative, <laughs> but no, all her crafts and meals are terrible. <laughs> I vaguely remember from the book one of the craft ideas she had was uh, lint snakes. So take a bunch of ties that you don't want to use anymore and just stuff them with your pocket lint, and then just tape, <laughs> and then just glue googly eyes to them, and all of a sudden you've got lint snakes. 
It's exactly, yeah. There's a the one the one uh, craft that she does bring all the way to fruition is a uh, baked potato sailboat, <laughs> where a, a craft single is the sail. Obviously, yeah, the, the the baked potato itself is um, the the whole uh, hull of the ship. Okay. And yeah, skewer with a with crow's nest that's an olive. It it, it, it looks terrible because she's because <laughs> she's taped she's taped nails fake nails to her okay. to herself so she can't quite make it right. No. But all right, that's the one craft that does come to fruition and it looks awful. <laughs> well, maybe that's kind of the point is the fact that it's like this is too easy to to make. I have to add a challenge to myself. Yeah, or I don't know. Maybe the point was to get laughs. In which case, mission accomplished. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Uh well this week I've been uh I've been I've been desperate for some YouTube video essays Greg it's just I've been jonesing uh, I know John John the the, the demand is there exactly it, it's it's just a matter of whether the supply can keep up God knows people are trying but <laughs> well I finally gave in and decided to just fall down on my knees to the algorithm and say finally all right I'll watch Lindsay Ellis because you won't stop recommending me to her <laughs> now I've never heard of Lindsay Ellis so you're really gonna have to Explain it to me like I'm a two-year-old, please. Okay. Um, she's a, a film school dropout. All video essayists on YouTube are. Nice. Um, they're already they're already making more money than most film school attendees. So exactly. For them. So there you go. Um, yeah. And of course, uh, she's a woman. So uh, instead of you know being overly nostalgic over dumb men rela- male related things like Transformers and Thundercats, she's more interested in exploring you know Disney princesses and a lot of Disney ephemera. She's a Disney super fan. So, okay, uh, I'm she... out. I'm out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but that's just I'll let you a, finish your component. piece, but I'll, I, I could speak to this. <laughs> Living in Los Angeles, I can speak to the Disney heads out there, but continue. <laughs> oh, totally. No, no. She's, yeah. She knows her She knows her audience. She knows her box, and she is sitting quite comfortably in it. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> but again, like, I think that's that's a lot of her older stuff. Nowadays, she kind of, she's, she's branched out quite a bit. Uh, one of her more recent projects, she did this, uh, three-part uh, exploration on the Hobbit movies and why they don't really work. That's kind of like her closest, like, Mr. Plinkett-esque review. She even, like, gets on a plane and travels to New Zealand. Explore a lot of why those movies didn't work, mostly on a narrative level, but also, you know, the behind-the-scenes Hollywood reasons, like, you know, how they didn't want to pay uh, the workers' unions, so that's why they filmed it in New Zealand, and a lot of okay. litigation happened, and it's it's fascinating stuff. Um, okay. Yeah, so um, I think wait, that's... Wait, wait, you're... T- you said she actually went to New Zealand. She's a YouTuber who set, set foot outside her house? Well, I mean, if she's going to go on vacation, she might as well turn it into content. I guess, I guess so. <laughs> life is life is content. Exactly. Yeah, I film because I breathe. <laughs> I stream because I breathe, yeah. But yeah. anyway. <laughs> again, I think she has a lot of good insight. She's obviously very smart. She, uh, again, knows a lot of the kind of Hollywood insider behind-the-scenes business, which I think adds a lot to it. Uh, she's not talking from nothing. She's, again, she admits to having these, you know, rose-tinted glasses, these nostalgic feelings about those early 90s Disney films, but also understands that critically a lot of them do not work. Um, okay. And that the messages that they can kind of express. She has actually has a really good one about saving Mr. Banks and how All it's right. like, yeah, like, oh, you know, the message of that movie is you know, reframe the past the way you want to. You know, don't <laughs> wallow in it, but also According it's... to our corporate overlords. Yes. Exactly. But again, <laughs> they know to... best. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Pay no mind. <laughs> Sell your creations to the highest corporate bidder. Come on. Yeah. 
What are you going to do? Not commoditize for it? Come fun, on. Yes, for fun and profit. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so that's a really good essay. Um, she has a lot of really good essays. And it's not exclusively Disney movies. No, it's not exclusively Disney movies. Again, that's uh, the wheelhouse she kind of works in because, again, she's got to get them clicks. Uh, mm. But the, the other great thing is that she also has that red letter media quality where she's not going to beg for it. You know, not the, er, the end of every video isn't like, hey guys, subscribe to my Patreon, blah, blah, blah. You know, she just has the credits roll and it's just quiet and it's just peaceful and it's lovely. And I'm just like, oh. okay. All YouTube videos should be like this. All right. Yep. Nice. I mean, I did see. I recognize the thumbnail that you're talking about. YouTube, again, in their in their wise algorithms, has recommended this to me, and it says screaming internally or something. Exactly. Yeah. As, with a picture of Martin Freeman as Bilbo Baggins. I mean, mm-hmm. and obviously, who doesn't? But um, <laughs> yeah. So, but you're saying it's much more um, subdued. Uh, maybe more more to our audience, not the not the screaming yammering idiots that, that you most that mostly populate YouTube. So no, and even if you don't want to see her pieces of camera, you just have that in a different tab. So I don't like okay. watching people on camera. Why do I want to see her face? Come on. Exactly. That's why we're podcasting right now. Exactly. Do, who, do, who do you think wants to see our ugly mugs? <laughs> exactly. We know we have faces for radio, and that's why we're here. Indeed, we are. I, I will speak to though um, Disney heads out there. Mm-hmm. Because uh, in addition, this weekend, I also went to downtown Disney. That is a little outdoor pavilion mall area just outside of Disneyland and California Adventure Parks, these theme parks. And you don't have to pay to get in. Okay. You do have to pay for parking, though. Come on. Disney, Disney, <laughs> Disney's not a charity. <laughs> what is the purpose of this uh, park if you're not paying to get in? I, well, again, it's an outdoor pavilion. There's a movie theater. There's an ESPN zone, Rainforest <laughs> Cafe, and a few other shops. And a modern and family VR experience. <laughs> what else? <laughs> no, you're not far off. There, I was there specifically for the VR experience uh, for Star Wars. It's like a Rogue One story. It's like Star Tours, except you're Rogue One people. Anyway, that was oh, actually gosh. cool. I will say, I'm, I'm, I've completely, uh, I've, I've completely converted to VR. I was a skeptic before, but now I'm, I'm completely, 100% on board. Okay. <laughs> Told me, you told me it was Rogue One, so I was like, oh gosh, as if it couldn't be. It's now I'm even more immersely bored. Yay. <laughs> no, that VR experience was fun. However, the crowd at Downtown Disney. <laughs> Can you picture like grown women dressed as like Minnie Mouse or mm. people in like, or like, like again, adults in like a goofy hat or um, t-shirts with like Steamboat Willie on them. It's just it's just kind of sad. And so here here's the idea. If we can bring this full circle, John, I've had an idea. Okay. Um, pride is the pride celebration. The idea is to celebrate uh, the LGBT community that has been ostracized and denigrated in society for very long. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I concur. I I, I, yeah. I believe that. Okay. So instead of just one month out of the year, why don't we take all the pride celebration and put it in downtown Disney. And then what we do is ostracize these weirdos who are still into Disneyland and Disney merchandise and, and cast them out of society because that's where they belong. So okay. we've, we've included the LGBT community while ostracizing the people that really deserve it. And that's Disney heads. Okay. So think? collect them, collect them in downtown Los Angeles. And then we can recreate T2 judgment day. <laughs> And I think That's we great. can kill yes, two they'll... birds with one stone. All right, I like this. Yeah, yeah. they'll be in their stupid uh, Mickey ear uh, headbands. <laughs> <laughs> Got all their stuffed animals. So many stuffed animals. Too many stuffed animals. <laughs> yep, we'll put them outside a playground. They'll look and then just, yeah, just go, go, up, go up in flames like Linda Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> Greg, come on. Commoditize nostalgia. I mean, Disney magic. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
And plus, uh, again, you have Pride Celebration all year round, and so you don't have to close the street on uh, in West Hollywood once a time and make a traffic nightmare for everybody. <laughs> Perfect. Oh, you make it sound like that's the one thing keeping traffic in L.A. bad. Yes, I, I wanted to. I wanted to. Get <laughs> if to only WeHo my... were open to traffic, then everything yeah. would be fine in Los Angeles. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Yeah. I, it wouldn't matter. I still hate driving to West Hollywood. I hate driving to West Hollywood more than I hate ISIS. So okay. Oh, that Greg and his ISIS yep. comparisons. Yep. Just loves bringing up ISIS. Indeed, I do. <laughs> I'm gonna go because I'm gonna go to the Middle East and fight it myself, <laughs> so I can come up with a better analogy. But until then. And as if you couldn't get enough ISIS on your Twitter feed, oh boy, wait till you start following Aspiring Snobs on Twitter, and then you can like our Facebook page for all our ISIS-related content. Exactly. It's I, I talk about how uh, ISIS has infiltrated Congress. Look at your politicians. They're passing legislation that is specifically supports ISIS. Look closely. It's Sharia law, people, okay? Exactly. Not a lot of people know this. 90% of the U.S. is now under Sharia law. Mm-hmm. The vaccines, they all contain Sharia law, guys. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Wake up, sheeple. So if you want to read more about that, please follow us on Twitter. <laughs> but if you want to see fun recipe videos, we have a Facebook page, too. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I just be... made a pesto with a, or a, for angel hair pasta. Delicious. Mm-hmm. I'll be doing live video of me making lint snakes, so look forward to that. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yep. And then... We know you're here listening to this on your internet machines, so why don't you hit that subscribe button on your podcast service of choice, whether it be Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Player FM or Who Have It. Who is that a real? <laughs> yes, real who have service? it? Yeah, that's that's a new phrase I just coined right now. <laughs> oh, oh, it's a new phrase. I thought it was an actual podcast service. I would believe you. <laughs> well, now we got to start it. It's, it's our it's own. It's not exclusive. coming in on my. Yeah, it's not coming. The latest episode isn't coming in on my Who Have It feed. <laughs> Sorry, Aspiring Snobs is going premium. Who have it? Okay, you who can't. Have it, yes, you have to subscribe to premium. <laughs> Ten dollars a week. <laughs> but trust me, I think it's worth it. Exactly. And then you can rate us five stars, and that'll help others be part of the Aspiring Snobs community. Because John, we'll be here. We've been here consistently for eighty-seven straight weeks. Well, okay, we've taken a week off here. Or there. Uh, okay, yeah, right, 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 right. But they again, don't need to know that. Here. They don't need to know that. Exactly. But we're here, and exactly. we'll be here next week. I am here. I am here. Our Speak- movie next week is called <laughs> The Piano. Thankfully, there's no singing in that movie. What? There's no, it's not a musical? No, no, thankfully, no. In fact, uh, the woman, uh, the star of the movie, Holly Hunter, is mute. Uh, oh. Spoiler alert, by the way. Can't you tell I'm in a musical mood, Greg? Come on. Hell no. Never. I'm singing Pink. <laughs> I'm singing Koinakus Kotsiki. Come on. <laughs> Koyanis Katsky, come on. <laughs> hey, look at this Koyanis Katsky. Yeah, Koyanis Katsky, yeah. Just like my neighbor, Chuck Lewandowski. <laughs> and we go see the Bears games. Kind <laughs> of go get a hoagie. Yeah. <laughs> go get a hoagie down at Big Al's Italian, Italian place. <laughs> I saw this documentary, they were packing meat. It made me real hungry. <laughs> I thought, I paused the movie. I had to go get a brat. <laughs> We should just do the podcast in bad Chicago accents from now on. Sure, yeah. I'm just I'm just gonna flip on the blinker and pull out of this, pull, and just steer right out of this out of this riff. Well, thank you everybody for listening. Hey, and until next time, keep aspiring, at jerk offs. <laughs> you jerk off. They have the time, the time of their life. 
I saw a man and he danced with his wife in Chicago. Chicago. <laughs> 